episode of the Spinoza Triad, in which Dr. Richard Miller, Dan Rowland, and myself, John Gibbs, try to discuss philosophy and the great ideas of philosophy and see how they can be applied today. Richard and I set ourselves the task of reading Thus Spake Zarathustra. Friedrich Nietzsche's most enigmatic and poetic book, he considered his masterpiece. We enjoyed reading, and we discovered many ways in which it sheds light on the world we live in. I hope you enjoy our discussion. Absolutely, suddenly no idea. Who are you, in fact? Yeah, did I actually read any of this book? Right, so, I mean, I guess, John, what what, I'm no Nietzsche expert and um, dipped in and out of his books over the years. Yeah, I'm the same as you. I am familiar with Nietzsche more than some of the other people we've actually talked about in the sense that over the years, you know, you come across his stuff, you listen to a lecture, you read a bit of it, you come across a quotation and think that's interesting. But I'm more of an expert, yeah. as it were, now than I was three weeks ago, probably, when we first mooted right. the idea. I mean, I'm not an expert, but I'm more of an expert, you know. So I, I don't feel un, unqualified to say stuff. But then again, I generally don't feel unqualified to say stuff. <laughs> 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 that, that may be a bad thing. <laughs> oh. I, I knew it was a kind of story. Uh, I've dipped in and out of little bits of it but I couldn't really get to grips with it before so this is the first time I've tried to read it um what, what were your first thoughts on it I guess my, my first thoughts were, were that it, if I were living in the late 19th century or encountering this at the early 20th century it would be astonishingly shocking I mean once you get to the ideas what you think the ideas are we, you know maybe, maybe I'm jumping a bit there because my maybe my first first thoughts were well, what what is he talking about I mean what, what you know because it is a it is a form of a story a parable that, that Zarathustra descends from the mountain to speak and and give a series of of, of sermons and he, there's, there's stories of encountering people and all it's all a tremendous allegory so if you were looking at a kind of Hieronymus Bosch painting and you go, well, okay, it's, it's fascinating, but I'm not sure what it means. You know, that, that might, maybe that, that, maybe that was my very first thought. Except I did come to it knowing some Nietzsche. So I thought, ah, oh, I recognise that. I see that. Then I thought, well, the kind of bit, the, the ideas of Nietzsche, but particularly if we started with the big idea, the one that everyone's familiar with. Although he actually, God is dead. He does say it to, as he comes down the mountain, he meets the hermit and says, he doesn't, as he walks away from the hermit, he says, he doesn't yet know that God is dead. But I think it's in the gay science that he says God is, the phrase God is dead. So that idea, I thought, well, if you asked the man on the street, <laughs> or if you asked several men on the street probably to, to, to comment on Nietzsche, but if you finally encountered someone and you said, well, Nietzsche, oh yes, God is dead. That idea. And uh, I thought that's altogether less shocking. I don't know how that would go down in Podunk, Iowa, or how it would go down in... In, in among a deeply religious person, but for me, maybe it's because I'm an atheist. Maybe that, but I, 
I thought, okay, I get this. I get God is dead. I, and, I, and I think I know why you're saying God is dead. That I wasn't horrifyingly shocked. Like you, you know, I was aware of a lot of the key ideas that are covered in this book. So he starts off, doesn't he? He's up, he's up on a mountain, Zarathustra. And it's, he comes down. Is he 30 years old when he comes down? Yeah, so that's, it wasn't Jesus 30 when he comes down. When Jesus comes in and starts preaching at 30, isn't he? There's lots of biblical stuff in this, and there parables, um, parallels with you know he comes out of the wilderness and he's you know he's been away thinking, and Jesus goes off into wilderness for thirty days or so, thirty nights. But he, he's come down from the mountain, so yeah, it's, it's to start his ministry. So you've got that kind of sort of archetypal wise man, haven't you? That that's his, this is where he's going with it. He's come down to share knowledge, and I'm guessing Zarathustra be be Nietzsche, I suppose, isn't it? It is certainly the, uh, he's the teacher. I think you're supposed to see the people he encounters and the things he does as being the central message of the story. I mean, that, you know, Nietzsche's message. I don't think you're supposed to think, well, he's, he's, it's not like um, uh, Kierkegaard. This isn't an invented person you think, so is this really you talking or is this, this is someone putting up, a, putting up an edifice in which you're supposed to look around the side and wonder, wonder what you think of it. It's, uh, it's very much. You know, written by Nietzsche. He's up in the mountains, and Nietzsche, you know, he's in his alpine getaway. He's scribbling away at his desk, and I think he's producing the thoughts of Nietzsche. Yeah, yeah. What, what do you actually mean by any of this? Yeah, it would really be handy if there were some footnotes, or uh, if Nietzsche had written a sort of a, a, com a commentary. Although he does, um, in other books, refer to similar ideas, and in there are letters and his final work, Eke Homo, does. Did, does address some of these things but one of the you know the, the question is why did he choose to have a kind of avatar for himself a, uh, this, this figure of Zarathustra not simply like you know the thoughts of Nietzsche and um, it, it's almost it, I, in, there's a passage in the Eke Homo where he describes it as an almost ir ironic sort of jest Zarathustra or Zaroaster is also known is the founding prophet of the ancient Pers Persian religion of Zoroastrianism, which is still around today, once the religion though of the of the Persian Empire, and it is the or Zarathustra is the first of that kind of prophet who comes out of the wilderness, down from the mountain, and reveals the word of the truth, generally from God, uh, on on tablets into a book. It's been dicta dictated by an angel or whatever. You know that kind of prophet. That, you know. Jesus, Muhammad, Moses, Buddha, those kind of prophets who have revealed the truth either from God or from some kind of revelation. Well, the truth, the message in some ways of Nietzsche is going to be that there is no truth. And that's the problem, that there is no truth. That the moralist, the moralists, their era is over. So he's going to have the first of the moralists, the first of the great prophets, declare the end of the age of the prophet. And so the parable or the story of, of Zarathustra as told by Nietzsche is he's coming down from the mountain where he's been in the wilderness with his companion. I think a, one of his companions is a snake. Anyway, he's come down from the mountain and he's re re realized it's time to reveal the message and begin his ministry. So he meets a saint. He speaks to the saint, and this is where he says, look, uh, the old saint, 
in the forest has not yet heard anything of this, that God is dead. This is the starting point. Yes, the starting point, and it's, and it's Nietzsche's most famous message, which in, in the gay science, in the episode of the madman in the marketplace with the lamp who comes into the marketplace and says, God is dead. So it's an idea of Nietzsche's, that this idea of the death of God, which he's most famous for, but it's not pointing a finger at the world saying you're all atheists now or you've or you've lost your faith or people don't go to church as much as they used to. I mean, atheism is nothing new. Uh, people have been doubting and wondering about the existence of God from classical times. What this is, is something new that's being talked about. Some, so now Nietzsche is describing something new. We're now talking about Darwin and the Industrial Revolution and the um, the progress of science. Modernity. And modernity. Mm. So God has been pushed aside by modernity and uh, therefore human beings have done him in. That, that, that great edifice of explanation for why things are, are the way they are, it's gone. never asked me, as they should have done, what the name of Zarathustra precisely meant in my mouth, in the mouth of the first immoralist. For that which distinguishes this Persian from all others in the past is the very fact that he was the exact reverse of an immoralist. Zarathustra was the first to see in the struggle between good and evil the essential wheel in the workings of things. The translation of morality into the realm of metaphysics as force, cause, end in itself is his work. But the very question suggests its own answer. Zarathustra created this most portentous of all errors, morality. Therefore, he must be the first to expose it not only because he has had longer and greater experience of the subject than any other thinker. All histories, indeed, the experimental refutation of the theory of the so-called moral order of things. But because of the more important fact that Zarathustra was the most truthful of thinkers. In his teaching alone is truthfulness upheld as the highest virtue, that is to say, as the reverse of the cowardice of the idealist, who takes to his heels at the sight of reality. Zarathustra has more pluck in his body than all other thinkers put together. To tell the truth, and to aim straight, that is the first Persian virtue. Have I made myself clear? The overcoming of morality by itself, through truthfulness. The moralist's overcoming of himself in his opposite, in me. That is what the name Zarathustra means in my mouth. Friedrich Nietzsche from Eke Homo.
and it's and it's but it's not a good thing is it for Nietzsche you know it's not like a I, I don't know I, I guess when I first heard of that I thought it was like you know it, it was almost like a celebrationary thing you know God is dead you know Nietzsche's an atheist and this is great it's he's actually quite concerned about it it's um it, this this stuff is similar to it's similar period wouldn't it to Dostoevsky you know his um what's that quote of his if if God is dead all, all things are permissible you know it's that same kind of worry isn't it there's there's I think culturally at that period there there's there's a sh- more sort of a shift towards a more secular culture and uh, and society and what do we do if we don't have values of scripture or religion you know what because i think what nietzsche's worried about isn't it is that when this is where we're going to get to now with um god, god is dead is you know what then are we supposed to do <laughs> are, are, do we just become sheep of whatever is going to you know pull us along in a tide or can we stand up and overcome and that's kind that's kind of the, that, that's the this is where this is where we get to next in the book he comes down he sort of proclaims that god is dead it's right at the beginning of the book if, if anyone uh, is contemplating reading um this at all I, th- I mean most of the you know most of the sort of key ideas that you associate with him the the, the, the last man overman this stuff it, it's relatively early in this book isn't it it's, it's right at the beginning here he says look um i teach you the overman uh, man is something that shall be overcome what have you done to overcome him? And then he begins to speak about, you know, the the this this idea of the the Overman, which is which is the part that the Nazis misinterpreted quite badly. Absolutely, absolutely. His sister um, sets him up in his house as a sort of um, display item, you know, because he, he spends nearly a decade of his life in this catatonic state after having witnessed a horse being flogged and then. So on has a, has a fit. But he's, he's clearly got bad headaches. He's got some sort of neurological problem. His father died horrifyingly of some sort of neurological problem, and he well, it's the same. I don't, I don't know the medical stuff, but he but he's so he, and his sister sets him up. And hit, Hitler, there's a bit. I've seen the photographs of Hitler visiting the house, and his sister creates the house, turns it into a Nietzsche, Nietzsche museum. There's a big bust of Nietzsche there. I mean, Hitler visits long after Nietzsche's dead. She edits his last book. There's a, there's a, there's a pile of notes on there, which is the uh, the will to power. So his book that he was working on when he got ill was the will to power. So, so she pulls this together, shapes it around, turns it into basically master race, which is not good for his legacy. No. <laughs> well, it's a, it, you know, there's that fantastic sketch. Have you have you seen the Ricky Gervais uh, sketch on that? It's well, it's the one. It's the one where he's, he pretends to be Nietzsche, and you've got him, the other one, Hitler, and he says, "Oh, I just read your latest book." You know, no, I read between the lines, and it's just I don't know if you. If you it's, it's about just this, just this kind of misinterpretation of him, the Overman, or as it was translated, Superman. I think in that, in wasn't it? That's where the problem came, wasn't it? It was in the interpretation of the editing she did. It was more of like a Superman. The Nazis then have this kind of. Um, uh eugenics misreading of Darwin idea that the Superman is some kind of developed race racial thing uh, and so it's complete it's complete nonsense I mean it's nothing uh, it's complete nonsense clearly <laughs> yes the Nazis that was nonsense but the um, <laughs> but the question is what is the overman trying to overcome and I don't you know for, for, for Christianity, the over for human beings to overcome is to overcome to overcome the body, you know, overcome your lusts and your your vile worldly 
body and uh, liberate the poor trapped soul that quivers in there all innocent and so on you know, so, and that is not the, that's not the message of Nietzsche Nietzsche is distinctly overcome overcome things like believing in nonsense like the Nazis if Nietzsche saw racks of human beings marching past all sort of, zip, all sort of um, goose stepping and wearing uniforms I mean the, the very antithesis of the overman is the uniformed Nazi in fact the word uniform that would be the very thing you're not going to be if you're the overman yeah, I mean, that would be my reading of it as well. You would then become, you would be the last man, wouldn't you? Yes, absolutely. And the Nazis are about as last mannish as you could imagine. Uh, and just to explain to anyone listening to this, that the concept of the last man is the fate of humanity after the death of God, if humanity is unable to overcome what that means and what the death of God means. The last man is banal, is petty, is narrow, is materialistic, is vulgar and is violent. And all those things actually apply to the Nazis. Nothing, all, all that facade of, of um, Lebensraum and master race and such like covered up a bunch of hideous racist crooks who were mostly aware of their own depravity. That, that hypocrisy, you know, that nonsense was was as last manish as you want to be so there's there's a scene in the book where nietzsche's gone down he's given his his talk yeah sorry yeah sarah Thrust has given his talk a two towers kind of above and there's a there's a tightrope walker and the tightrope walker is about to uh did he start his walk and, and a jester jumps out and what does he do? Flip over his head or something, doesn't he? He does something, and but he falls. The, the, your tightrope walker then falls, and well, he, he desperately injured, isn't he? And then, and then literally dies with, with Zarathustra. Your tightrope walker's fallen down. Um, other people have mocked, and Zarathustra stays with him. I wondered if the two towers are supposed to be the tower of the the last man. The tightrope is the trying to get across to the other side which was the overman sort of overcoming yourself and and was the tightrope walkers us trying to get over to it because there's a bit here when he falls look um so he's lie he's lying him mortally injured and uh, zarathustra is kneeling yet dead after a while the shattered man recovered consciousness and saw zarathustra kneeling beside him uh, what are you doing here he asks at last uh, i have long known that the devil would trip me now he will drag me to hell. Would you prevent him? By my honour, friend, answered Zarathustra. All of which you speak does not exist. There is not devil and no hell. Your soul will be dead even before your body. Fear nothing further. He's saying there that even though you died, you died doing that which was your vocation, what you were supposed to do. Therefore, it's not, you've not died in vain. There is no, there's nothing to be scared of. There's no heaven or hell. When it's gone, it's gone. There's nothing to fear. If you think of it in that sense, that the tightrope walker then is is us trying to get there. And like you say, Zarathustra, even though he's dead, he, he then carries him off and, and takes him with him because he cares for this this tightrope walker because he died doing that which he was supposed to. I, I wonder if the, what he's trying to get at Nietzsche here is that the overman is really us trying to fulfil our potential. Yeah, I, th I think the, the tightrope walker is, is the overman. The tightrope walker knows he's over the top of everybody else, but also he is suspended on a dangerous wire, 
as well in balancing the day was work. And that must be, I think, for Nietzsche, what he would have felt his life to be like. Not only these, was he always, he was always creeping along from bad health and so on. And he knew his father died of his horrible disease and so on. So life must have seemed pretty precarious. And at the same time, he's not widely understood or recognized in his own life. And he's, he's attempting to do very bold things that are going to seem frightening to people and misunderstood, he's going to be laughed at and so on. So I think, you know, so if, if he certainly admires the tightrope walker and says to him, but when he says to him, you know, there's no heaven, there's no hell, don't worry about that. I'm going to be dragged down to hell. No, it's all superstition. Immediately you think, well, that's, that's, that's the kind of materialism of people like Spinoza. It's the materialism of all the way back to, to Epicurus, you know, and, um, and Lucretius. Here's a world. This is the only world you've got. Don't worry about that. You know, think about what you tried to do. You know, you followed, you followed your course. You followed what you followed, what you, what your, what your purpose was. Which is very Aristotelian, isn't it? That sort of, you know, there's what what you're for, and what human beings are for, is what they need. The, the ethic. I thought, I thought that that sort of that's a very old-fashioned ethic. But be true, you know, it's be true to yourself. Do what is right for you, and the mob will laugh and people will cry. You know, there's fools to the left of you, jesters to the right, and that stuff. <laughs> but there's you're you're in the end. You must pursue what's right for you. Well, it's it's a, it's also a response to the the claim that you know if God is dead, what's there? What is there then? We've been driven so far historically, and we had scripture, and we had, we knew our purpose through that, and now we say God is dead. What's going to happen? Nietzsche's worried about a kind of nihilism of, of just a collapse of into this this mass of the crowd. The crowd are jeering, laughing, this kind of mass of people. That he was kind of worried that we would end up like that, being controlled and. I don't know if the tightrope walker is the overman or is is a symbol of people trying to approach the over the overman you know trying to get to where where it is but I think you're right you know the, the the key point is that he he dies trying doesn't he so if you've got no god you've got no direction what do you have if there's if there is this void the message of Nietzsche seems to be through this a kind of radical responsibility doesn't it responsibility to yourself for no other reason than to try and to try and fulfil your potential, which is something you know you hear, uh, listen to some of Jordan Peterson's stuff, and it, this is this is something he's taken from him, isn't it? It's quite popular at the moment, you know, in our you know our, our internet age. It's quite interesting because I, when I looked at this stuff and I, I sat and I thought about that, I thought, well, the last man really technological, social media driven culture that we are now in. Are we not arguing over like things that are ridiculous, uh, shouting at each other and laughing and jeering and the online presences where people just say and act despicably almost, you know, they'd never say it to their face. Is, is that not the modern mass is, is online? Zarathustra, however, beheld the people and was amazed. 
Then he spoke thus. Man is a rope tied between beast and overman. A rope over an abyss. A dangerous across. A dangerous on the way. A dangerous looking back. A dangerous shuddering and stopping. What can be loved in man is that he is a bridge and not an end. Is that he is an overture and a going under. I love those who do not know how to live except by going under. For they are those who cross over. Then something happened that made every mouth dumb and every eye rigid. For meanwhile, the tightrope walker had begun his performance. He had stepped out of a small door and was walking over the rope, stretched between two towers and suspended over the marketplace and the people. When he had reached the exact middle of his course, the small door opened once more and a fellow in motley clothes, looking like a jester, jumped out and followed the first one with quick steps. Forward, Lamefoot, he shouted in an awe-inspiring voice. Forward, lazy bones, smuggler, pale face, or I shall tickle you with my heel. What are you doing here between the towers? The tower is where you belong. You ought to be locked up. You blocked the way for one better than yourself. And with every word he came closer and closer. But when he was but one step behind, the dreadful thing happened which made every mouth dumb and every eye rigid. He uttered a devilish cry and jumped over the man who stood in his way. This man, however, seeing his rival win, lost his head and rope, tossed away his pole and plunged into the depth even faster, a whirlpool of arms and legs. story of the, uh, the tightrope walker and the jester coming up behind him, tripping him off the wire and so on, is open to interpretation. Something you said earlier, Rich, about sheep and being led by sheep, the danger of that. That strikes me, though you can see the jester in all sorts of ways, the jester is potentially the false prophet, is the, th is the thing that will prevent you in this world, in this society, from being yourself, for being an individual, for reflecting upon the world in a way that is mature and, and adult and grown up and so on. And of course, there's so many infantilizing stupidities about our world. And that's the most disappointing thing as you reach a kind of latter stages of your life. Well, not latter stages, but as you get a bit older. As you get a bit older, the world looks more stupid than you realized. I mean, the other day I was looking, you realized when you were young, the other day I was looking at Putin as he walked rather oddly in that way that he does across a great polished floor to being announced in stentorian tones, Putin, and so on. Looking for all the world like the under-under manager who's coming to deal with an, with an awkward customer in some department store. 
you know, slightly embarrassed, a little bit peeved, slightly self-conscious. Why? I thought, why? Whenever I see Putin at one of his enormous tables, why aren't they laughing? Why isn't there a chorus of derision? Same as when uh, Xi Jinping sails past serried ranks of soldiers in uniforms that would embarrass a doorman at the Ritz, uh, looking again a little bit embarrassed at a tubby man of a certain age. Why they aren't laughing? Why isn't everyone raucously laughing? And there are many examples in our own politics, of course, you know, uh, as Richie Sunak uh, attempts to be a man of the people, or, or Boris Johnson just appears in public. Why aren't they laughing? These are the jesters that trip us up. certainly feel that way a lot of the time you can't you can't look at the world we live in and not be deeply unsurprised I think I might have said this in the last podcast but deeply unsurprised by human stupidity you know it's it's all it's it's everywhere vanity pursuit of distraction sort of bread and circuses of the mob the use of technology to simply take your mind off the now that kind of empty pursuit of repetition and and pursuit of distraction and you look at the, and, and, then, and then you say well yes that that is where we are uh, I thought when I was thinking when I listened to Nietzsche I was thinking ah the last man or that world of the last man the, the mob the mob, the mob and so on reminded me of the book Brave New World you know Aldous Huxley's Brave New World and I thought I typed that in so you know Nietzsche and Brave New World yeah yeah apparently it's not an, not an original thought <laughs> That Huxley, when he wrote Brave New World, and he creates this idea of the of the world of utter shallowness, you know, the, the drug, the drug that keeps keeps everyone com comfortably happy, the division of human beings into into highly efficient, organised uh, slots the, the, from the epsilons to the alphas and so on, and the the utterly utterly banal culture of of Brave New World. That the future is peaceful. It's what we talked about it when we talked about the idea of what would life be like if we had a completely peaceful society. And we said, well, it'd be plastic. It would be a kind of plastic world. And I, and I suspect that every now and again, when you're feeling a bit cynical these days, you look at the world around you and you think it's terribly banal and terribly plastic and terribly shallow. And that thought, you, you, you sort of make a connection there, I think, with, with Nietzsche. Except I'm not sure I feel about that. I know, I know that I, am I just being, am I just, is that just dreadful? I mean, are human, should we condemn our fellow man so so outright for being, you know, if people will live their lives that are small and focused on banality and vanity and the accumulation of stuff, how, how you know, I don't know how, how, how bad that is. <laughs> Certainly I'm guilty of I think that the obviously the death of God is less profound now, especially living in the UK. You know, it's a, a largely secular 
country now. Um, I think, though, quite interestingly, very often Nietzsche's charged with the kind of birth of postmodern relativism, isn't it? Well, so, you know, there's that expression he has, um, or the quote, you know, the truth is a mobile army of metaphors. You know, it's it's not an objective thing. It's it perspective and perspective is perspective, this kind of thing. And I think, and, and that leads to this kind of like, well, what what is truth? You know, what 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 is value? What is meaning? All this kind of stuff. Because definitely, if we if we say that the the online or the world as it is now, you know, it's interconnected. If we, this we have now is really often a, a battle for for truth. You know, we've got ideas of um, uh, relativism everywhere so but that's part of, of Nietzsche's kind of concern isn't it his worry but his his response to that his response to this sort of position of the last man is an acknowledgement of this potential isn't it to try and to try and maximize what you are and who you are I think it fits in you know, we, usually when we do these conversations Johnny it's just what does it mean now and I, and, I, and I actually think it's quite a valid message now, isn't it? Probably as much the, the second part, if you like, the response, the, the God is dead, the problems of truth, uh, fake news, misinformation, all of this other stuff. It is really exactly what he's talking in a slightly different context, maybe. But what what do we do about that? Well, you can only kind of you can only deal with your side of the street. You can only improve yourself to become the best potential that you can be. Whereas you, you get the, I, I don't know about you, I get the impression modern culture is, is more concerned with the other, however we may address that. We are more concerned with organising someone else than we are organising ourselves. And to me, Nietzsche's message very much so was, it's okay to die if you die doing something which is what you were destined to do, you know, your potential, rather than doing what someone else told you to do. John Gibbs, as we discuss, Thus Spake Zarathustra, Friedrich Nietzsche's masterpiece, and ask, is it relevant today? doing what you do and what you do is uh, bring up a family build garden sheds <laughs> I don't know what you do but if, if your life is something that it doesn't have to be that you that you have to go to the top of the mountain and write great poetry it doesn't have to be that you uh, compose you know that you're Wagner and you compose the the great operas, or that you're Elon Musk. And so I would wonder if is, is Elon Musk the Superman? Is he the Overman? I saw him being interviewed the other day, and he's he's very sort of ordinary sounding and very self-deprecating. And he said he's built he builds space rockets, he builds underground tunnels, he builds cars that or he builds lots of lots and lots of people build them. He 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 
vaguely financed them through the, through, the, through the fortune of his money. But never mind. Even if you looked at him and said, well, he, he's, certainly, he's certainly a notable character. He's certainly got a lot of money. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't think he is. I think, I think his pursuit of those kind of giant projects aren't the overman. I think the overman is the guy or the woman who pursues, as you said, that vocation which gives their life meaning. That purpose which they can feel happy to repeat. You know, and I think if you did live your life as a, as a um, doctor or nurse or a or, or anything that you felt was intrinsically honest to itself and you'd be happy to repeat it again and again and again and again, and then, then it doesn't have to be uh, the, the billionaire or the millionaire or the or the great author or the great poet or the great writer. Or whatever. And I think that idea... So, so, so when, when you think of the, you know, be the, be the Superman, well, most of us can't be the Superman because we're going to be working to bring our children up and to just get get through our daily lives and i think nietzsche might respond to that was that's no problem right i think i think you can live the authentic life with radical responsibilities you put it and i think that, that even even in ordinary settings even in the even in the everyday and i think that's the key to this isn't it it's, it's if you if you had to repeat would it have meaning or value the, the Elon Musk example would depend purely upon whether or not it was his his meaning to do that. If he wanted to, um, if Elon Musk's entire desire was to live in the English countryside and grow plants, but he got sidetracked making rocket ships, <laughs> you know. But every day was daydreaming about you know his 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 lovely garden, you know. Then no, he's not. If if his goal was to do that, then I think. It really does depend where you put the accent, doesn't it, with this stuff, I think. It is, it is yeah. It's, it's can you strip out of your life uh, distraction, waste, superstition, false belief, and be, be uh, authentic to yourself? Like, it's, a tall, it's a tall order, but it's not a bad way of thinking about your, your own life. And I think it can bring a certain, you know, if you can try and seek nobility in the ordinary, then you may be coming close to nature. I hope that's true. Well, I mean, he says, doesn't he? Um, you know, you you have made danger your vocation. There is nothing contemptible in that, and now you perish uh, of your vocation. For that, I will bury you with my own hands. You know, it's kind of uh, it's that idea that you know, at least die trying, and and that's what the tightrope walker does, doesn't he? He he dies trying. <laughs> he does, yeah. And the thing is, I, I, what I don't want to say to people. Yeah, or talk myself really <laughs> I don't want to take the message maybe this is the message but I don't want it to be the message which is that um, to to simply give in to to simply give in to to, to accept the fact that you have to earn a living have to work a life have to go have to get up in the morning and catch the tube is a, a defeat you, you know you should you should have abandoned it all and found a found a filthy garret and written your poetry and even if you died trying writing your poetry and no one had published it, maybe after you're dead, you know, you should have been, you should have been Van Gogh, Van Gogh, and you, there you'd have, there you'd have painted away all your life, and everyone laughed at you and thought you were stupid, and your paintings were bloody horrible, and you couldn't even give them away. Only one painting you sold in your life, and that was to your brother. He bought it out of pity, and then, <laughs> but you knew, you knew you were a genius. Well, uh, well, the problem with that is, uh, at what point do we all? 
have some sneaking, you know, as you fall asleep late at night, think, well, maybe I should have written that novel. Maybe if I'd not spent so many years working in that job and instead devoted myself to to philosophy. That guy you saw, you sent me the thing the other day of the chap who, who basically um, managed to get a job where no one knew he was he was getting the salary for two different two, two different sources of employment <laughs> two, two different sources of employer were thought the other one was responsible for supervising him so he realized about 10 years ago or 10 <laughs> for a decade that no one cared whether he worked or not he just took the salary <laughs> he didn't work 10 years and they asked him what's he yeah go on, what what have you been doing with your time he said well i've been becoming an expert on spinoza yeah. Fair dues. He'd been reading philosophy and taking the checks. That's what people say, what good's philosophy? Well, you know, it, you, you look at life slightly differently. Like like that guy, you know, suddenly it didn't seem to be so meaningless, his job, that no one even knew he wasn't there. I mean, it's so funny, wasn't it? I mean, what, had, had he lived a life more authentic to itself, or <laughs> was he just simply skiving? <laughs> No, he, I think he had. He had in many respects, didn't he? I mean, he he definitely not been the last man, had he? Uh, I, I think um, it, it's literally there, isn't it? He says, you know, you, you died, you, you know, you died in pursuit of your of your vocation as, as a result of it. I think maybe that's the message there. And I and I and I wonder if um, I just I, I I just thought that this section to speak very much of today's society. I guess, I guess the, the problem with that is quite, a, I mean, it is, it's, it's, an, it's an individualistic kind of philosophy, isn't it? But it's, it's quite selfish in some respects, isn't it? You're, you're not a bit like, not, not like no, it's not like stoicism, but it's kind of, again, it's not, it doesn't really, it's not an ethics that takes in consideration anyone else. In our contemporary culture, it's too far the other way. Like it's like I just said, you know, people are so obsessed with what everyone else is doing. You know, it really is this kind of last man world, isn't it? Where everyone's marching along, like you said, like in a form of uniform, but you can't see it because you think you have some kind of voice, which doesn't matter. You know, comments on on, on social media or, or on online, do they really mean anything? So I think it's quite a profound message for today, really. I think it is, and I and I think when you when you look at it through the eyes of that insight, or through the through the um, people like uh, the people like the Frankfurt School or Mark Fisher, and you say, well, well, what 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 is what is the soma of our age? What is the drug that keeps us all sort of plodding along and happily and so on? And it is the it is turning us into products, and it is the mass pro the mass production of individuality. So if Zarathustra comes down from the mountain and his message is pursue that which is true to you what capitalism did was turn that into a marketed yes you want to pursue what's true to you buy this shampoo because you are the individual buy this car because it makes you the individual buy this thing because you are now the overman and you can zoom along in your super fast car on absolutely empty roads even though it's an absolute fantasy <laughs> in most countries but you can you know so capitalism found a means by which you could marketize the desire to be special and individual and unique and make and made it utterly uniform well yeah i mean that's that's a good way of putting it john isn't it I, that, that maybe the um it's a it's a fake overman isn't it the capitalism offers you the potential to 
to become the Overman, you just need to buy this stuff first. And then you can imagine yourself in the advert. You know, it's quite very clever, isn't it? Yeah, I think there's a there's a bit in the book. I wish I could find it. I'll look for it after this. But the, he, he meets some sort of wise man. I don't think it's the guy when he first comes down to the mountain, but I'll have to read it again. But he meets some sort of wise man, and the wise man he says, "I know that I know the truth of life, and you need to you need to have plenty of sleep, and you need to do something else." I mean, he gives him a sort of um, how to live your life better. And I thought, well, of course, you know, go, go into any bookshop in the Western world, in the United States, in this case. And go to a shelf marked, you know, um, self improvement. Better, better, be be more assertive. How to be, how to not be cheated, or, or the YouTube, or YouTube for that matter, or anything. You can find thousands of people who've got the message about how you can live your best life. <laughs> and yeah, and it, and it has become that. It's been, it, we, we've managed to mass produce a desire for individuality. Greatly was he honoured and rewarded for this, and all the youths sat before his chair. To him went Zarathustra, and sat among the youths before his chair, and thus spake the wise man. Respect and modesty in presence of sleep. That's the first thing. And go out of the way of all who sleep badly and keep awake at night. Modest is even the thief in the presence of sleep. He always stealeth softly through the night. Immodest, however, is the night watchman. Immodestly he carrieth his horn. Ten times a day must thou overcome thyself. That causeth wholesome weariness and his poppy to the soul. Ten truths must thou find during the day. Otherwise wilt thou seek truth during the night, and thy soul will have been hungry. Ten times must thou laugh during the day and be cheerful. Otherwise thy stomach, the father of affliction, will disturb thee in the night. Few people know it, but one must have all the virtues in order to sleep well. Shall I bear false witness? Shall I commit adultery? Shall I covet my neighbour's maidservant? All that would ill accord with good sleep. When Zarathustra heard the wise man thus speak, he laughed in his heart, for thereby had a light dawned upon him. And thus spake he to his heart. A fool seemeth this wise man with his forty thoughts, but I believe he knoweth well how to sleep. Happy even is he who liveth near the wise man. Such sleep is contagious, even through a thick wall it is contagious. A magic resideth even in his academic chair. And not in vain did the youth sit before the preacher of virtue. His wisdom is to keep awake in order to sleep well. And verily, if life has no sense, and had I to choose nonsense, this would be the desirablest nonsense 
for me also. For know I well that people sought formerly above all else when they sought teachers of virtue, good sleep they sought for themselves, and poppy-headed virtues to promote it. To all those belauded sages of the academic chairs, wisdom was sleep without dreams. They knew no higher significance of life. Even at present, to be sure, there are some like this preacher of virtue, and not always so honourable, but their time is past, and not much longer do they stand there as they already lie. Blessed are those drowsy ones, for they shall soon nod to sleep. Thus spake Zarathustra. I mean, you, I was looking the other day and I saw, um, you know, what you know, morning routines that are a big thing at the moment, aren't they? You know, you wake up and sort of mindfulness and uh, what else is there? You know, uh, the breathing exercises, you know, something else and then, I don't know, a bit of stretching, you know, uh, and then that's your morning sort of that. Then there are evening routines, you know. My, my morning routine is usually a solemn promise to myself never to drink again. <laughs> yeah. Live your best life. Or at least not your worst. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, but you, and then you've got like evening routines, you know, what, what, what's, you know, what's your evening routine? And then you've, so you've got the bit in the middle, which presumably is the bit where you're supposed to celebrate the fact that you work really hard. It does feel that, that, that it, it's, you get this fictitious web of, of existence, which like, as you just said there, it's universally kind of the same. That's the problem with this, isn't it, I suppose, to an extent. How, how do you become the open? How do you follow your potential without falling straight into the trap of just becoming the last man by everyone doing the same? And if, and if you are the, the overman, then the one thing you're able to reject is false belief. And you're not going to join that group and you're not going to believe in that cult. And you're not going to see... And you're going to see things for what they are, both an absurd pursuit of um, vanity and you're going to see that and you're going to be able to, I don't know, overcome it, reject it, know it for what know it for what it is. And that that is why I don't think the radical self-responsibility is some kind of um, Ayn, Rand, Ayn Rand Ayn Rand's message could you could see that as a superman. She she writes about these people in Atlas whatever the thing is, Atlas shrugged of the of the, the super capitalist, the man who takes decisions and is, you know, you're fired. <laughs> no, we must go on. We must build great dams. I don't that. I don't think is. I, I hope not. Superman. I don't. I would. But I could see how you would take it. You could take that Elon Musk might read Zaspate Zarathustra and see himself as the overman, or the great capitalist might see himself as the overman. You know, the, the one who took bold decisions and so on. So he does talk about how how you approach this. The section Zarathustra's speeches on the three metamorphoses. Of three metamorphoses of the spirit, I tell you how the spirit becomes a camel, and the camel a lion, and the lion finally a child. So 
in this section, he, he goes on to say, I, my, my reading of it here is that exactly what you, you're just saying there is the camel burdens ugly truths or the, the old truth. And then as the lion, you slay the old ways and you, and you over, you know, you, you, you get rid of those old truths and then you become the child. It kind of links on to the idea of the tightrope walker because he doesn't actually get there. He is, he's almost like the child. He's trying to get to where he's going to. He dies for his, in, in trying to get there, but it's quite a sort of humble start, not saying we should become this towering figure. That's, yeah, I've not thought of that before. That, that, that's true. I think if you took the metamorphosis of the soul or metamorphosis of the spirit or the human being and said, you know, it's a, first you must become the strong camel no, first you must be the child, innocent in the world, and then you get the strength of the camel, and finally you are the raging lion. It would be a very different sort of message, and it would be one, I think, of the kind of stereotype overman. That you become a child, to, to go into the world as a child. Well, a child, what did child do? Children ask why, 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 why. Children also see things that are stupid and say they're stupid. You know, that, that, that famous story of the uh, child and the, you know, the emperor's new clothes. The, re- the, reason the, ch- the reason the child says the emperor's got no clothes on is because everyone else is caught up in this world of, uh, you know, you can't, can't dare tell the emperor he's walking around stark naked. And anyway, cause, because apparently he's wearing invisible clothes that only, um, if you can't see them, it means you're an idiot. So I can't possibly admit that I can't see them. But the child has none of those pretensions, none of that false illusions, and says, you know, the emperor's got no clothes on. Well, to be a child in the world and to see its absurdity, and yet embrace its newness. That's actually a pretty good message. I wonder as well if there's a drawing um, parallels there with one of the Gospels. Doesn't Jesus say that you should come to God as as a child? So you've got here, you know, Nietzsche saying that the journey to approach the, the Overman is is as you start as a child. And I mean, just going back quickly with a camel, there's this idea that you, we, we are burdened and carry these untruths, things that you think you should be are, are just a burden. It is actually, yeah, it is actually more biblical than I thought. Really, it is. It is the, the innocent child because Christ, Christ is often portrayed as a child. The, innoc- the innocence of the child, the, the, the you know, the sort of William Blake's poetry of, innoc- of innocence. Uh, the, the, the message isn't be that be the meek and mild child in the world. You know, that, that, that avoid the, avoid the avoid the ethics of the slave. You know, uh, that that. Christianity is a death cult wrapped in a piece of false, as indeed all religions are, death cults wrapped in a philosophy of, um, of the weak. You know, the, the herd mentality of um, Christianity for, for Nietzsche. And I'm wondering if the modern version of that would be the, the way in which we're all controlled and, and, and the fictitious sense in which we think there's some autonomy because the actual arguments themselves are already set up and framed. Call it capitalist realism, call it the last man. The most interesting things are the asking you to look around you at the world and see how are you burdened with with stupidity. And if you brought Nietzsche back from before he went off his head, before before he could no longer speak, and you brought him into the 20th century, and said, look, um, Nietzsche, old chap, the, uh, a fair amount of time has passed and life has moved on and we've been, we've been living with the death of God for some time now. <laughs> What's he going to look at? He, well, first, he, first he's going to say, well, God's not dead. There's, religion is, is still, as far as I can tell, in most of humanity still going strong. 
and all sorts of beliefs and superstitions and religious beliefs are still here. And then you say, well, no, not in all of the world. Look, I mean, you know, the church going in Britain so has massively declined and we are less religious than we used to be and so on. So yes, but you, you believe all sorts of old nonsense. And, and look, at, look at the people that walk along your streets. They kind of look the same, they wear the same stuff, they pursue the same sorts of lives. You are, uh, in, in, in many ways, the herd just as much as you ever were. I have a feeling he would do that, and that, that is still quiet. I mean, the, the death of God is really, the, for him, I think, the death of universal, not I say universal, but sort of absolute kind of truth as such. Relativised versions of truth now have, have now taken almost religious-like ideological proportions, haven't they? The, the, if you like, the arguments of the social construction of truth, the relativised versions of truth, are religious. <laughs> Scepticism of science, the scepticism of, of, of all sorts, this breakdown of truth. And I, I wonder if he would walk around and think, you know, <laughs> what would he say, look, this isn't what I meant. <laughs> to be, and again, and again, to be clear, the death of God isn't just the death of the belief in God and going to church and such like. I mean, in, in a sense, modernity deals with that. Modernity congratulates itself on that, the enlightenment. And many enlightenment thinkers can say, well, we no longer embrace kind of ontological truths of religion, those eternal soul, heaven and hell, a movement towards the end of the universe, uh, salvation, all those things, we've rejected those as medieval superstition, but we've held on to all of the beliefs that uh, make us, make liberal people, modern liberal enlightenment people, as religious as ever. In other words, we've held on to religious beliefs about truth, and compassion and uh, treat your treat your the golden rule treat your neighbor as you wish to be treated treat others as you would wish to be treated and the, the desire for truth and those things are embraced by many people i mean i guess i would describe myself as a sort of as an enlightenment liberal and what nietzsche is saying is what happens when that goes and that is going to be destroyed by the arrival of nihilism by the arrival of the emptiness of relativism and a belief in no great existential values of good, of, um, of compassion, and instead the, the last man, uh, racist, vulgar, stupid, petty, bourgeois, empty of value. Uh, and uh, that's the world we're heading into, says Nietzsche. And, um, that is the world you have to overcome by constructing grand existential values of your own for the, the last man will look at the stars and, and blink and not know what they are. Grand thoughts and grand beliefs and hopes and desire. And, uh, the poetry of the universe will disappear with the last man. Which is exactly what he worried about. I mean, it's open to interpretation, isn't it? Massively, what he's saying, because it doesn't, it makes no ethical judgment, doesn't it? You know, I'm, I'm assuming in, in, in a, it's a bit almost vaguely deontological in terms of that. What what is what is your purpose? That in constructing yourself in a kind of postmodern identity sense, you're 
in many respects being the overman because you're not conforming you know in in, in becoming whatever it is you feel you should become you, you know you you are you are not becoming uh, last man and the problem and the problem for uh, for us is that Nietzsche's Nietzsche's writing before Freud he's writing before an idea of the disunified self and and i think to to be to be the superman to be the overman you have to have a, some idea of your own personal radical autonomy you know you 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 can you can evaluate your life and wish to live it again and again but if you don't actually believe you're entirely yourself and your own consciousness and your own sense of yourself isn't 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 a unified definable thing uh, i'm not sure how Nietzsche would deal with that i don't sure he does deal with it. how can he deal with it? you have to you know that that, that um that the, the post modern human being is not something that you can that you can necessarily overcome you you are you are swimming swimming around in a in a sort of fog of disunity and improbable identities which i don't think Nietzsche would understand i probably say look this isn't what i meant <laughs> you know or uh, or at least could you read the rest of the book where it tells you to to look after yourself but you know this potential part of it i think our modern culture isn't quite grasping yeah well i i i guess that's true because that must be true because i i think yes you're right because the the inheritors of a lot of me what is where, where do you take me to say if you ignore if you ignore the Na- the nazis which is just a misreading of nietzsche and a perversion of nietzsche but if you take nietzsche down to the existentialists so someone like Jean Paul Sartre and the the message is you know life is art, utterly material it has no it's absurd it's but you have to try to in the moment live the live the life of truth to yourself that's very nietzschean and yet it does it, 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 you know certainly certainly the existentialists in Sartre and Camus uh, are writing and living after Freud and in a world where yes you you must um you must carve out an identity even in within your multiple identities and contradictions of yourself. So yes. You've been listening to the Spinoza Triad podcast, where Richard and I have been discussing Thus Spake Zarathustra by Friedrich Nietzsche, or at least the first part of the book. I suspect we can revisit this text many times in the future. If you've enjoyed our discussion and you'd like to listen to past conversations of the Spinoza Triad, you can find us on Spotify and multiple other platforms. Thank you for listening.